Hello, Jordan. What's going on, Michael? Weekly podcasts, you know? Unrelenting. Every week. There's no, uh, there's no changing that. This is it for probably, what, the next 50 years? Wow, 50? Let me think about that. 35, 85, yeah. Yeah, God willing, yes, 50 years. I think that's on, on the low end, realistically. Yeah, I mean, bro, we're, we're basically one two hundredth of the way there. In this, you know, Q1 2022 stretch, we're getting tons of positive feedback. People are pumped about the weekly uploads. We're just going to keep trying, giving straight value. So. What's up, brother? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't have much. I'm very sore. I had my first, uh, in in the last two years, you know, COVID, et cetera, I did zero traveling with Gary, 100% FaceTime workouts. And this past week, I was down in Florida with him and very, very sore from all of the working out and beach football. Did you, you, you worked out with him once, but then you just did a lot of beach football? Myself? I mean, I still, I trained Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. But you did one workout with him? I did one workout with him because we were so dialed in on our beach football schedule and like the morning got weird. So it was between cancel on beach football and people would have been furious and skip my own workout, which I'm not in a place in my life where I'm doing that right now. And so I just told him because we both had legs and abs. I was like, I was like, hey, man, I'm going to work out with you. What do you think of that? And he was like, cool. Okay. <laughs> And you guys played played beach football in the sand, so your your feet and everything are just wrecked. I mean, not just beach football, you know, hyper competitive. It's touch, but very like we're blocking. We're like someone go. We're not really calling any. I mean, I don't think there were any penalties called, so it was very physical. Yeah, and if anyone knows Gary Gary Vaynerchuk and sees what he's like online. He's like that times 10 when it comes to sports. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> ultra, ultra competitive. Yeah. It was fun though. It's, I mean, it's an amazing workout. Just doing all that sprinting on the sand. Are you working out today? Or are you taking a rest day today? No. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Oh, God. Okay. So I was going to caffeinate up for this pod, but I kept it at just a little half cup of coffee. I'm trying to keep caffeine low on the weekends. Oh, nice. Yeah, man. What's up with you? Chilling. Just, you know, got a... Uh, what's going on? I don't even know what's going on, man. Everything's good. My wife and I had... We had to go to the hospital yesterday because she is... Uh, she had like some spotting and cramping yesterday, which like she she really freaked out about, which like makes sense. Like it's worrisome. You don't know what it is. So went to the... She called her OB, went to the hospital. Everything was okay. But we were there for like six hours yesterday just trying to make sure everything's all right jeez and everything's oh yeah yeah, everything's uh, good everything's totally fine it's like apparently listen i've i don't know anything about pregnancy at all so this is all new to me as well but apparently that that is somewhat common but basically i googled it as soon as she was having it and and you know everything from your your baby's dead to like uh it's totally normal shows up so we're like, you know we'll just we'll just go and see what happens rather be safe than sorry. And we were there and everyone was super nice. Then it was like totally fine. So, so yeah, everything's good. And what did, what did the doctors do? So 
Well, they asked a bunch of questions. They were just trying to fit. They did a, they did a, what's the thing called? Like an ultrasound so they can see the baby. The baby was moving like crazy. Like I've seen the baby a few times now, which is really, really cool to see. But like it, you can see it literally like rolling around and moving all over the place. And like just, it was, and it's funny because she's like almost 20 weeks now, but based on how much it's moving, you would assume that she'd be able to feel it. But like, she still can't really there. She said she can feel flutters sometimes, but like, I would imagine it would feel like a bowling ball in there. But like <laughs> just looking at how much this baby was rolling around and moving and everything, I was like, you've got to feel that. And she's like, I don't, which is just crazy to me. Wow. Um, yeah. And, uh, so they did the, the ultrasound and they, they gave her this shot. It's called a Rogam shot. Basically, um, my wife's blood type is something, it's a very rare blood type. And so I didn't know how this works, but it's actually pretty crazy. There's, so if the baby's blood mixes with my wife's blood, it's not bad for this baby, but based on my wife's blood type, and if my, the baby is a different blood type, then if the baby's blood mixes with my wife's blood, then my wife could develop antibodies to the baby. Mm. Now, obviously that would be bad. Not You think it would reject this baby because the, because this baby is already growing, it would be fine, they said, but it would prevent future pregnancies because any time the body detected a pregnancy it would uh, with uh, that blood type or whatever, it would reject it immediately. It would think that something's bad. So they gave this, this shot, it's called a Rogam shot that basically tells my wife's body, it's okay, there, you don't need to develop antibodies for this. So- any t- so that's why they're actually glad that we came in because if there's that type of spotting or whatever, then it could have potentially mixed in with her blood. So, and when I heard about this, I thought that it was just like one Rogam shot and you're good. But they were saying any time that this happens, you'd actually have to come in and get a Rogam shot within 72 hours because at any point then it could develop, her body could develop those antibodies, which is crazy to me. And I was thinking like, man, how does this happen? How did, how did a, how did we survive as a species before modern medicine? You know, it's like not, not only is like child life, like the life, the likelihood of a child surviving so small, but if her, if her body could develop antibodies for all future kids, then basically you're limited to that one child. And like, it's, it's just crazy to me that we've made it thus far without modern medicine. Dude, my, my, that's funny. Cause my brain went to that exact place first. I'm so happy that everything's okay. Obviously. Yeah. 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 But pre, I mean, two things. I mean, a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, wh- wherever we want to draw the line, and all the way before that, when this shot didn't exist, like you know, it, we don't think about how, or I don't think about how grateful I should be for everything we have at this point in in uh, human civilization. And two, like you just said, how how does that I guess blood types still exist. Like how do yeah. we not evolve out of, right? Like if, I, I guess, I don't know what, uh, you know, the the genetics of blood types, like where that comes from in terms of your parents, et cetera. But it's crazy that that's still a thing. Yeah, it blows my, I literally said that to her last night. I was like, it's crazy that your blood type is still around considering like if it mixed with the mother's blood, 
then the mother would create antibodies to that. Like it's crazy to me. And also just the fact that science is at a point where it can say, hey, we're going to give you this shot while you're pregnant that will prevent you from creating antibodies against this. That will, it's to- for this pregnancy, it wouldn't matter, but for future pregnancy, like the fact that they have all this stuff is just so crazy to me that it's just, and it was so normal for them. It was like the doctor, yeah, this is normal. We'll give you this shot. It does this and this and this. And I'm like, this is so mind blowing to me. And you're just, you know, it's just like nonchalant so discussion for you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there's that. And, uh, Everything else is good, man. Everything else, jujitsu is going great. You know, I think it's a it's a slow time in the fitness industry. I think uh, so. Business is a little bit slow, but also I've been not really posting that much on social media. So could be a little bit of both. <laughs> How does that feel? Feels good in some ways, and also guilt provoking in other ways. You know, like relaxing, trying to get as much sleep and just relax and spend as much time with my wife now before the baby comes as I can. Um, but there's always the, when I open social media and see other people posting, I always get the like, oh shit, I should be doing that. I should be doing that. But, you know. Guilt coming in the form of seeing what peers are doing. Yeah. Even people in the mentorship who I just see crushing it. I'm like, man, yeah, yeah. I, I should be, I sh- you know, I should be practicing what I preach. I should be posting on there more often, da, 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 da. But uh, Bill I Belichick guess- could not play in the NFL right now. Correct. Yeah. That's it. That's the. Did he ever play in the NFL? Yeah, I think he played corner. Uh, maybe he didn't play in the NFL. Maybe he played in college. I think he was a defensive back. Oh, okay. Yeah, I always wondered about that. Um, but, but I I also have that same like slight feeling. <laughs> Barely at this point. I wish people could see <laughs> the I face did. you just made. <laughs> Can't wait for these video to go. podcasts. Yeah, video podcasts video coming podcast soon. soon. But um, I just think I I did that. When I was at that stage in my career, I was posting at that frequency. I was working that many hours a day. I was going that hard. And it it depends on what your goals are. It depends what outcome you want. Yeah. The other thing is like, it's okay for like to have, like it's, I'm at a point where so much of anytime I'd feel guilty about it, I'd say, ah, oh, don't feel guilty, but that makes the guilt even worse because then I'm focusing on the guilt, telling myself I shouldn't feel guilty, but I do feel guilty. So I feel guilty about feeling guilty when the reality is like, it's really? okay. Like, yeah. You know, it's like, for me, it's like, cool. So I feel guilty about it because I'm not posting as much as I once was, but then I can look at everything else that I am doing now that I wasn't doing before. I'm focusing so much on my health and fitness. I'm focusing so much on my wife. I'm focusing so much on X, Y, and Z. So now I can be like, cool, like it's okay to feel a little bit guilty about this because of everything else I'm doing instead. So it's rather than just saying, don't feel guilty. It's like, it's okay to feel a little bit guilty. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Like it's a normal human emotion, but focus on all the things that you are able to do now that you weren't doing before. Yeah. Yeah. Focus on what you're doing instead and all of the good things happening there. Rather than just, you know, saying like, well, don't feel guilty. Sort of like when you talk to your partner and you're like, hey, like relax or like, don't be mad. Or it's like, really? That's what you're... <laughs> good <laughs> yeah, luck. I, I, I definitely, what you're saying makes sense to me. When I felt guilty, I just told myself don't feel guilty until I didn't feel guilty anymore. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. yeah. And... There's also like, my guilt stemmed from a place of 
my audience telling me that like asking where I am an expectation that I should be posting where are like, like that it's not weird to not be on the internet. Like the expectation is that you should be on the internet at all times. And I guess you you set that precedent yourself by posting continuously for many years. Um, but when I felt guilt around that, it's like, okay, well, who is this person telling me that I need to be posting so they can enjoy my content for free? Let's think about this. Okay. I've been posting, you know, for how, whatever, like we'll call it six years of like real solid consistency across the board. Mm -hmm. Over that period of time, those six years, this person, uh, you know, based on everything I can see and absorb, like didn't really, you know, take all that information and apply it all. Right. Like, yeah. Like, and the information's still there. You want to dig back, you hundreds of videos, you know, however many articles, loads of content out there. It's like, are you just curious what I'm up to or do you want the value that I was adding? Because if you want the help, it's all sitting out there and you can go take it and apply it and, and benefit from it. But if you're just curious what I'm up to, I'm not going to feel guilty about that because I don't know anyone like life updates. I think that's what a lot of people are there. They want to, cause they develop a relationship with you, whether you realize it or not. Like for you, the relationship is like, and, and by you, I'm saying like for us, the content creator, like yeah, creator to audience, the yep. relationship is often, you know, the camera and then with yourself coming up with the content and then posting it. And then the broad generality of, of, reaction. you know, of reaction. Exactly. But they're alone by themselves watching your video and actually developing a relationship with you, which is, you know, it's. It's odd. Yeah, it really is odd. And, and you know, there's so much good about it. We don't need to go down that whole road. Someone tweeted last night, and I'm not active there, but I, I go on Twitter and, like, you know, I'm poking around and seeing what's going on in, in different places for uh, killing time, et cetera. And I still get notifications here and there, like random follows or people liking, whatever. And someone tweeted at me like <laughs> they actually replied to something Gary said and it was it seemed kind of angry they they were not happy with Gary and they were like you're the one who stole Mike Vacanti away from the world <laughs> and I was like what's going <laughs> they on they said that on Twitter <laughs> yeah and they tagged you in it <laughs> yeah that's funny but yeah there's a it is uh and who knows, you know, you lose context, you can't get tone with everything. Might have just been he might have been joking around. Yeah. Um or he saw that, you know, when I fired back up with Gary, I started making less content. Who knows? But uh yeah. Doesn't really matter because I'm gonna be back real soon. <laughs> Eat it. Eat it. Eat it. Eat it is the name of our book for everyone who doesn't know. It's the name of our book coming June June sixth or June seventh. I always forget. June sixth. June sixth. We'll tell you when to buy it. It's uh, there's a real science to this process of getting everyone to buy at the same time. Apparently, I just, let's dive into questions. Let's dive right in. Oh no, you know what? I have one more <laughs> thing that I wanted to talk about that's interesting. Okay, <laughs> and I think you can really relate to this because you're very focused and dominating your own health right now, uh, and because you've had periods of time where you weren't. And so this week down in Florida, living out of a hotel after really settling in here in Minnesota the last three, four, five months and like developing routine 
bedroom with blackout curtains and perfect temperature, you know, gym close by that I really enjoy going to cupboards and fridge and freezer stocked with the foods that I like, like basically optimized environment and something that I'm used to. And then you develop habits within that environment and your own health and training and nutrition all reflect that, you know, room in the basement to get steps in lacrosse balls and foam rollers laying all over the place, like just optimized. And then a week living out of a hotel, weird bed, uh, you know, no healthy food options right there unless I would have planned it better and like done a grocery run. But even then you have a tiny mini fridge. It doesn't even get that schedule, cold. Different, yeah. yeah, yeah. The hotel um, thermostat like has a limit on it. And I it hate doesn't when they really do that. Go to that yeah. limit. Yeah, I saw a good TikTok that showed how to override the limit, which is you can probably YouTube it, but that's a thing. So you, wow, that exists. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's just very interesting. It made me reappreciate uh, how difficult fitness is for people who are traveling 100, 150 days a year, um, or even just like very extroverted, have a lot going on, very like unroutinized compared to how much easier it is and how much more methodical you can be when you're in your environment that you have set up for success. Man, unroutinized. That's a hell of a word. That was nice. Thank you. Also, man, TikTok is really serving whatever is best for you, huh? I mean, for you to get served that how to override this hotel room, <laughs> they are really, they know exactly what you want. <laughs> yeah. China and my For You page knows me so much better than I know myself. It's actually unbelievable. That's incredible that they gave you that video. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get... I get so much stuff on there that like I didn't know that I needed. Yeah, you're like the biggest fan of TikTok that I know. You're always sending me TikTok clips. Check this out. <laughs> this here's video. the thing. Here's the, here's the thing about the For You page. It gives you ideas and concepts. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, it's not curating. Their algorithm, whatever it is, it, you're, you don't have – I mean, I guess you can go to the people you follow, but most social media – the algorithm is based on for consumption is based on people. And I'm just like, I don't, I never got into like celebrity gossip magazines. I never got into like, I'm not interested in what certain people are doing. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's not good or bad. It's just, I am not, but the for you page, I'm never seeing the same per if I scrolled for an hour, I wouldn't see the same creator twice, but I would see the ideas that are most like dialed into what I'm a lot of it's curious about learning about, or a, a, most of it is probably humor. So they have my sense of humor dialed in. I bet if you were the person who is interested in people, that's what your for you page would show. It would show a certain people. Like, let's say you were obsessed with Drake. I bet if you were obsessed with Drake, it would show you all of this Drake stuff. But because you like learning these new skills and things, like I bet that's why it's showing you that. Because it, it because it sees like you watch those types of videos the whole way through. And maybe you'll like whatever, rewind it or I don't know. Like you you watch those videos over and over and over again. So it knows like, hey, we're gonna serve him this type of stuff. Which is that's what's crazy about the algorithm because it knows what it's not even necessarily a certain topic per se, as much as it is a certain type of content, which is learning conceptual, as opposed to, you know, hey, this is only fitness. Because on Instagram, it's like, 
I'm given mixed martial arts and jujitsu and fitness. That's really like the main things that they throw on my feed. But I don't get these random learning videos like I would on TikTok, for example, that like even on the rare occasion I do go on there, I get similar. I get I get things oftentimes about space or nature. I like seeing stuff about space and nature, about like um, that nature is metal account or whatever it is. But you can see, I, I see stuff about like what's going on in, in different galaxies or all this stuff because I'll watch those videos the whole way through. So it will show me those learning type videos. It's so interesting how it's not necessarily about what your profile is about or what, because oftentimes on Instagram, if I think if you hashtag certain things, like if you hashtag fitness in your post, you'll probably get more fitness type content in your feed. But just because I hashtag that stuff on my feed and TikTok doesn't mean I'm getting that stuff on my for you page. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Their, their algorithm I think is next level. I think they, they're definitely beating Instagram for sure. Yeah. And even the fitness stuff that I get served up is you know, I'm not getting five ways to stay full in a calorie deficit because even though that might be something relevant to me teaching, it's not some, it's not information that I need at this point, but I will get like something funny related to fitness or something, you know, or like the, uh, like a Dom Mazzetti video or something, something, or even, yeah, it, I don't know that he's on there, but yeah, the, the 2022 version of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, you have any uh, any comments before we dive in on how dialed your current health and fitness and isn't your resting heart rate like 26 beats per minute these days? No, it's not 26. That's dangerous, <laughs> Michael. <laughs> dangerously impressive. That's da- <laughs> that just dangerously cheesy, those commercials growing up. Um, no, no. Resting heart rate's like uh, when I wake up, it's around like 42, 43, 44, which is- what, than- When you're sleeping. I haven't checked that in a while. Actually, I haven't looked at my Garmin Connect for like for when I'm sleeping. But when I wake up, it's about like 42, 44. What's your resting heart rate? Uh, it actually has gone up since I have done less cardio. I mean, I I was since I've done less zone two cardio. Yeah, 50, 55. I got it down. I never had it into the forties, but like fifty one was my weekly average one week. That was the lowest probably three weeks ago. That's great. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm happy about it. And you've got naturally good cardio. Do I? Yeah, you do. You've got great cardio. Remember when we rolled with Jessen and uh, I was exhausted in like eight seconds? Yeah, that's because you hadn't done jujitsu before, and so you didn't know when to go crazy and when to. It's like grappling is just. It's the most tiring of all of them. It's the most exhausting by far, more than boxing, more than kickboxing, more like by far, like wrestling and grappling is the most exhausting. I saw a video. (laughs) We're really just all over the place in this podcast, which I'm kind of enjoying Sunday morning edition. Uh, This, these drunk guys were at Taco Bell. Did you see this? No. Is this on TikTok? (laughs) I think it probably was. I don't know. It might've been Twitter. (laughs) But it seemed like it, it was kind of cut at the beginning, but they were being obnoxious, yelling at the employees kind of, and I think demanding free food. It seemed like, I don't have the full context, but it seemed like the drunk guy was demanding free food and his buddy was slightly less drunk, but kind of backing him up. And the Taco Bell employee was kind of out on the edge, you know, where you walk out to cross out from behind the counter towards the rest of the people saying no. And 
the drunk guy kind of squares up and oh, starts geez. moving towards him and throws a haymaker. And the Taco Bell employee ducks. So he ducks the punch, goes in for a takedown, picks him up and slams him. And the guy landed on his head. Oh, no. Yeah. And, and was just out. And then his buddy and, you know, the Taco Bell guy like immediately backed up after he took him down. Like it was very much self-defense. And his buddy rolled him over and like blood all over coming from his face. Wow. And yeah. Yeah. That's the end of the story. Do we know what happened to the guy? No, we don't. Oh, man. That's a real bummer of an ending to that story. But good self-defense, man. It is. And it's, but then it was very, because then there was debate in the comments. People were. Of course, people are debating about that stupid shit. Like, oh, shouldn't have slammed him. So it's like when people like see videos of a cop and they're like, oh, the cop should have shot him in the leg. It's like, you've never shot a gun in your life. If you think the cop should like look at someone who's in a crowd of people and saying, shoot them in the leg, like good luck. Yeah. Like, you, if you've never shot, you can't say that. If, if you're in the middle of that situation and someone goes after you and you sl- like, you're not thinking I'm going to try and slam them on their head. You're thinking I'm trying to stay safe and this is what I practice. In the cop example too, you're talking about someone who has a weapon. Yeah, like, so, correct. Not like that, a random. It's not shoot that random guy in the leg. <laughs> no, you have someone who has a weapon in a group of people and then people are mad because the cop shot and killed the guy with a weapon. And it's like you shoot for the biggest part of the body, which is not the head. It's not the leg. You shoot the biggest, which is the torso. And like in a crowd of people, it's lucky that it, it, the person's moving around. It's lucky he didn't hit anybody. Like, oh, shoot them in the leg. It's like the leg can move. It's like not to mention that's a, a ridiculously accurate shot from a 20, 30, 40 feet away. Are you kidding me? Yeah, to hit the leg. And then I could imagine these comments are probably like, oh, he shouldn't have slammed him on his head. Da, 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 da. Like get out of here. In fairness, it was probably 90, 10. The, the balance of the comments, but still people like when someone is the aggressor and then they throw a haymaker, you're in self-defense mode. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, yeah. It's if you've never been in that situation saying like, well, they should have done this is so fucking stupid. That, that stuff pisses me off a lot. It's sort of like, it's one of actually the biggest things like they've, uh, and this isn't political. This is like, it's, this is just a, a factual discussion around they they've banned chokeholds for some states for police officers in some states they've they've banned chokeholds and this is not based off of of a knowledge of martial arts or a knowledge of self defense this is just based off of more media propaganda and what people think of when they think of a chokehold uh, a properly applied chokehold does not kill the person at all it it just it it doesn't even necessarily choke them it just you, if you want to control someone, you control their head. Mm-hmm. That's you control their spine. You control the person. Period. End of story. Like if you can control their head for moving, if you can, if you can control the direction of their head, then you control the entire person. And the best way to do that is to get what is referred to as a chokehold. But you don't even have to be choking them. You're just controlling the top of their spine, the top of that lever arm. Mm-hmm. And so, by banning these holds, and by if a cop is seen doing that in some states, like for example, New York City, then that cop could go to prison. And so just by having that one hold, not even by necessarily doing anything, but just by using it to help, even like if someone's a danger to themselves or a danger to others, 
you want to get them in that position so you can control them and help them be safe and other people be safe. So, uh, I mean, there's just a lot of misinformation about this stuff that, that is actually, I'm super passionate about discussing because it can actually, it can save lives. And by, by banning that type of a hold, you actually make it more dangerous because you can't control that person as well. And they could end up hurting someone else, hurting themselves, hurting you as the, the cop, whatever it is. It's a, it's very dangerous. Let me, let me try and play devil's advocate. If, so I think it's very clear that the ability to use a chokehold is good if the person using the chokehold has a level of training. Yes, absolutely. And and from the police officers who I have spoken to, there is very, very little training and zero jujitsu um, except for the officers. There's actually who, in Minnesota, they're required um, to be blue belts. They're required all cops to be blue belts in Minnesota, which I'm a huge fan of. Really? Yeah. All cops Since have to when? get training until, uh, within the last year or two. Okay. Which I'm yeah, a huge fan that, of. Th- that's, that's where my mind goes is like, it seems like, uh, a reaction, a strong reaction to George Floyd. Yeah. 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 And then like no, no chokes to avoid a situation like this. Do you think that there do you think that that law banning chokes has any validity for untrained individuals um well that's the i don't think it's a fair question because i think it should be a requirement that all cops be trained yep like it's i don't think you should have a police officer on the street who is untrained i don't i think that's and like for example when you and i took that same page that like two and a half day sheepdog sheepdog response like uh home defense self-defense course they said you and i did more shooting in those two and a half days than most cops do an entire year Mm -hmm. right because there were there were federal agents in the area near us and they were saying like all they're doing all their training they said the amount of shooting that you and i did in those two and a half days is more than most cops are required to do in a whole year which is a massive problem which is so it's i mean it's the chokehold isn't the issue it's the these cops need to be trained in how to do them properly that's the issue and you can see videos of online of like terrible cops not just terrible in their skill but they're just there's some bad cops like there's there's bad teachers there's bad doctors there's bad lawyers there's bad personal trainers there's some bad cops like the off awful guy who who killed george floyd that wasn't a chokehold by the way what he did to george floyd that was that no, wasn't a chokehold it was a, that was a knee in the neck like he choked him. he that that was not that was not a choke that's not a, even a jujitsu move that's literally just Correct. like i'm gonna hurt this guy as much as I possibly can in an unnecessary fashion. And it was just trying to make a statement that was, that was disgusting and gross and filthy in every way imaginable. And I don't think he's a fair representation of, of police at all. And I think just based on the response of police after that saying like, this was terrible, this should never have happened. I think I, 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 yeah, like almost speechless with how bad that was, but that's not an example of what a trained police officer does at all. A trained police officer doesn't do that. That's what an untrained psychotic individual does with like uh, just with ill intent and malicious, malicious intent. That's not what uh, a well-trained officer will do. It certainly seemed that way. I do wonder if proper training may have made that situation go differently. Absolutely. It absolutely would have made it go differently. There's no question, which is, you know, why the whole, like it, the answer isn't to defund police. The answer is to, Better them, funding. And and better standards. 
better funding and and hold them to standards of you are required to be training jujitsu. You're required to be practicing with your firearm. You're required to be passing these tests. It's like it, there has to be not just better funding, but also uh, a higher standard in order to uh, to to reach the certain level in which you're actually out patrolling the streets. Yeah. Yeah. Higher standard and then higher standard probably means that either a higher percentage of current funding towards training and testing or uh, more total funding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In order to, to actually have those standards and pass them and, and keep them regimented, like, yeah, you're going to have to have more funding in order to make that a possibility. Yeah. Didn't expect to go down that route in this <laughs> Good. That's, that's what, that's what makes the like organic conversation component of the podcast, as well as podcasts that are like unplanned and free flowing, especially there's so much bullshit out there. There's so much like, uh, masquerading and, and like trying to, to perceive audience reaction and like fitting that to mm. sell and do whatever the, that's why so many of the best podcasts are just two individuals or multiple people, whatever, seeking or even a single individual seeking truth, mm. right? Like That's a good way letting to put the conversation it. Yeah. go where it's going to go, but you don't have an agenda. You're just working towards figuring out what's true and what's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. But now we shall go into the planned fitness slash business portion of the podcast should you not eat during the day if you're going to have a big meal at night? You want to answer that one? Indifferent. I'm curious what you think. I think there's a chance we might have differing opinions on this. But so should you not eat during the day if you're going to have a big meal at night? Um, I'll start by saying I think it depends on your current relationship with food. I think if you struggle with binge eating or anorexia or bulimia or any of that, or you have a disordered relationship with food, then absolutely do not not eat. Fast all, all day. day. Don't fast all day, exactly. Don't fast all day and, and wait for that because that's going to perpetuate a more disordered relationship with food. If you have a good relationship with food, that's, a, that's totally fine. Um, if this was me 10 years ago, it would have been a terrible idea. But me now is actually, if I want to do that, I could do that. No problem. That's not an issue, but you have to be very objective and self-aware with your relationship with food. Um, if you have a great relationship with food, I think it's a very good strategy, but even then I've found that even if you have a great relationship with food, sometimes completely fasting the whole day will cause you to end up eating more than you would have otherwise. So rather than completely fasting, I prefer to have a lot of protein, a lot of veggies, and a little bit of fruit leading up to that meal just to fill yourself up. So that way, when you do go eat, you can still enjoy yourself. You have more leeway with your calories. But if you just fast the whole day, this happens to me every year on Yom Kippur. So it's, it's one of the biggest Jewish holidays of the year. And there are several fasting days throughout the year in Judaism, but Yom Kippur is one of the more well-known ones. And every single year, it's every Jewish holiday, it starts at sundown and ends at sundown. So like, it's not like it, the holidays, they start when the day starts. It's the holiday actually starts at sundown the night before. So when you start fasting on Yom Kippur, you have a big dinner and then you start fasting once sundown happens and then you fast all night and then all the next day until sundown the following day. So literally like the whole day, I'm just thinking about food. And it's funny because I'm thinking about food, not because I'm necessarily hungry, but because I know I can't eat food until the end of the day. And so, and then by the time the break fast happens, 
I end up eating way more than I would have otherwise, just because I've been, I'm so hungry and I've been thinking about food all day. But if I just had the ability to eat a, a bit, one, one or two meals of mostly protein and vegetables, and a little bit of fruit, I would have still been able to, able to enjoy myself without overdoing it. But you know, it's, you know, that's religion and <laughs> it, it's, it's fasting for a separate reason. Actually, my rabbi had a when when my wife and I were getting ready for our wedding, I was asking my rabbi all these questions and we had this whole discussion around what's the purpose of fasting and this religious fasting. And he had a really interesting thought around it that I had never heard before. Basically, there are many different, especially in Judaism, I can't speak for other religions, but there's always these jokes about Judaism about how, um, you know, you have three different rabbis, they'll give you four different opinions type of a thing. And, and so much of Judaism is about like arguing and debating and what's right. And so much, it's, it's not just like, hey, this is what God meant, period. It's like, hey, let's try and figure out and debate and like argue about it. And so we can come up with as many different possibilities. And what I liked about what he said about fasting is the way that he's always interpreted it as it reminds you it's because Yom Kippur is the day of repentance. It's where you repent for your sins. Uh, and you sort of ask for forgiveness going into this new year. And so growing up, I was always taught and thought that this fasting was your way of sort of apologizing for everything bad you've done. It's your punishment. But my rabbi was like, no, I don't like thinking of it as a punishment. I like thinking of it as um, a moment to to recognize that when you feel hunger during that day while you're fasting, some people feel that every day. And some people are are ne- are like very rarely ever to, ever to satiate themselves. Like food is is always scarce for them. And so by thinking about that, maybe going forward into the, the new year, you can be more gracious and and more giving with what you're doing. So like it's sort of a reminder for you to think about, okay, I'm so lucky that every other day of the year, if I'm hungry, I can just go get a bite of food, which I, I thought I like that a lot. I love that. Yeah. Your your answer was actually exactly what I would say. Basically to the T. To, I know this isn't part of the question, but the other uh, interpretation of religious fasting that I've always liked is uh, that of sacrifice. Mm. Right? Like it's a, it's a sacrifice to God to do something that's difficult. Um, foregoing food for, for a day or you know, longer More. depending on yeah. the fast. Uh, I, I love everything you said. I think the only thing I'll highlight is what I would really emphasize. And and that is that I don't even love the strategy of not eating all day leading up to a meal at night. I like a, a whatever protein, modified protein sparing fast, um, or basically like think of it as just eating less than you normally would during the day. Maybe that means skipping a meal. It probably just means modifying your meal, two meals, meal and snack, two meals and snack, whatever, leading up to dinner to be lower calorie so you have more calories to play with at dinner. Mm. So if you have 2,000 calories for the day and you're normally dividing it up like, I don't know, 700, 700, 700 gets you close. Um, Instead of that, what I would do is what Jordan mentioned with protein emphasis, you know, volume so vegetables that'll fill you up for pretty low calories some fruit in there micronutrient dense fiber like fills you up on a lower amount of calories but keeping calories lower than normal during the day keeping protein high so where it would normally be or even higher and then going into dinner with more calories to play with so maybe you 
you only eat 800 calories during the day, so you have 1,200 at dinner rather than only having 700 at dinner. But modifying your meals during the day to give yourself more room to play with at dinner. But I completely agree that it can... There's two things. What you mentioned, which is you completely fast all day, you're not used to it, that's not your normal meal timing pattern, then you end up overeating at night. Um, and two, you just go into dinner feeling like shit. Like if you're not used to if you're not used to going all day, like then when you get to dinner time, you know, you're going to the restaurant, you're dragging, you're low energy, you're low mental energy, you're low physical energy. So Keep you're angry, you're snapping on your spouse, like you're, it's just, it's not worth it. <laughs> you hit your wife in the parking lot, it's just not good. Or <laughs> <laughs> your wife hits you. <laughs> that's the only time my wife gets mad is when she's angry. Like that's like literally the only time I ever see her get upset is when she's like really hungry. Yeah. And we were kidding about the hitting, by the way, just in case this gets clipped and posted to. Oh, they're all about beating your spouse. This is a terrible <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Um, one star by the way <laughs> if uh if you have a second right now i think you can keep listening and leave us a five-star review spotify apple google can Bay, you wherever reviews you're on spotify yeah oh i didn't know that yeah i've i've n noticed recently that we've had quite a few of spotify reviews recently so one thank you so much for listening two thank you so much for leaving us the five-star reviews um yeah, you you're all amazing. We really appreciate that feedback. Yeah, thank you everyone. It's uh it's been super fun doing this and and really get it, getting back into it weekly has been great as well. Cuz we had the reason we took such a while off was cuz of the book. That's really why we took such a cuz we were just getting the book done, but now that that's basically ready to go, we're just cruising. Yeah. That's true because we were we spent so much time together on video calls just sitting there pounding the the keys. I think I have a good question. Um, I think I think you might like this one, but I never know with Michael. He's always he's always hard to read, <laughs> even as long as I've known him. Um, I try and pick questions that I think are going to resonate with what Michael's interested in. So I've got I've got one. Someone asked how to not get back tightness with deadlifts and Romanian deadlifts, and the reason I picked this one is because I know Michael is big on back tightness. <laughs> And also I enjoys am. deadlifts and RDLs. So yeah. what, what do you think? I think I think it's a good question. And I think probably a lot of people struggle with it. I think it's a great question. Um, man, there's so many. It depends on the person. There's so many ways to answer this. I'm going to say here are some ways to avoid overuse of the lumbar spine during these movements when and and overuse of the low back overuse of low back activation and underuse of glute and hamstring on these exercises that lead to your back being tighter because you end up working your lower back uh and some of those are um you know one being proper breathing and and it's probably not the highest on on the hierarchy, but making I think it's sure pretty high to be honest. You I think, think so? that is pretty because if people aren't bracing properly, breathing and bracing, like you're gonna feel it. Even if your technique looks good, if you're not breathing and bracing properly, then you're not get, getting enough pr intra abdominal pressure to actually protect your spine. Like I think that's super high up on the list. Yeah. So th so let's let's talk about these. We'll we'll say two bracing and breathing because those were were going to be separate in the three. So bracing and breathing is one, and uh, tempo is the other one. 
These are are two common mistakes. And so uh, we'll start with the one that I think will take less time to explain. On an RDL, uh, I'll often see uncontrolled eccentric Mm. tempo, Mm -hmm. meaning when you're lowering the weights, you're lowering them super fast, have like a rubber band effect at the bottom of the rep where you're almost in a free fall with the weight and then you immediately transition into the lifting phase from the bottom of the movement. And at that transition where you catch, because it's a free fall of the weight and then you catch and you start on the lifting phase, your lower back is going to be taking the majority of that load. So by focusing on having a controlled lowering phase, and it doesn't, you know, you don't have to count out five seconds on the lowering, but just making sure that it's a it's a nice smooth lowering phase and probably at least two seconds on the lowering phase um, is going to lead to less lower back activation and more more you're gonna feel your hamstring stretch more on the way down and you're gonna recruit more glute and hamstring on the exercise by controlling that tempo. Yep, agreed completely. Do you want to go into breathing and bracing? Breathing and bracing I actually really like the way you explain it with the cylinder. You explain it. I think we actually both stole that from Peter Atia, right? No, I didn't steal that from Peter Atia. I the cylinder st- in in the for for creating intra abdominal pressure. <sighs> I knew that years ago, but I probably stole no, no, it from no. Cressy or something. Thinking about it as a cylinder, though. Yeah, and you're filling the cylinder up with air. Uh, I've always said water bottle. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, here's what you want to do. You want to take a giant... Oh, oh no, no, no. There's one more thing on tempo. Sorry. So here's a mistake I see a lot of people make on a... So that was RDL. On a deadlift, a mistake that a lot of people make is on the eccentric phase of a deadlift, there's many ways to do it and there's some argument about it. I think the best, the best option is you know, an explosive concentric movement and then dropping the weight, right? You can keep your hand on the weight. You're not like actually dropping it, but you're not going to maintain any like lower back, glute, hamstring, trap, et cetera, recruitment on the way down because the weight is free falling rather than this, like rather than one, a tap and go or two, this like four second east controlled eccentric on a heavy deadlift that is just that's going to lead to something that leads to low back tightness mm-hmm. yep so lift the weight drop it while keeping your hands on the bar but you're not using you're not expending any energy on the lowering phase and then there's like a probably a very minor reset at the bottom of each rep before you start your next concentric phase yeah, I like that. Right? Because you, you know what I'm talking about when you see people who try to really control the eccentric phase of a heavy deadlift. And it, I'm just looking at their lower back like that. You're not going to last long doing that. No, it's a bad idea. I see more injuries there than than anywhere else with a deadlift. And I, I think a, a max effort, and by max effort, I mean somewhere between one to five reps, a max effort deadlift, like heavy, heavy deadlift that's not meant to be a controlled eccentric. That's meant for a power-based concentric, a trying to develop more speed, power, explosive power, rate of force development on the concentric like you would in a jump or in a sprint or in uh, a broad jump, a high jump, a dunking a basketball, whatever it is. Like 
It's an explosive concentric. And then you just come back down really fast on the eccentric. That's what you're developing that for. If you want to load up weight and then strengthen the eccentric, which is important, I would do that with a Romanian deadlift, not a from the floor regular deadlift. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, if you are, if you're doing heavy triples, you're going to be able to, uh, I think this is true. You're going to be able to concentrically lift more weight than you can safely eccentrically control. That's the key word being safely. Yeah, safely. Yeah, yeah that's for sure. You can eccentrically, you, but but not without you're, leading You're stronger to, eccentrically than you are concentrically. That's just, we know that, but safely bringing it back down. That's the, that's the key word. Cause I think if you have a super heavy weight that you're trying to control down eccentrically, you're asking for something to hurt. You're, you're asking yeah. for, and that's really when most soreness happens as well. So if we're talking about preventing tightness, which really is what the question was, how do you prevent tightness? You reduce the eccentric phase. It doesn't mean you have to eliminate it completely, but you reduce it. If you want to accentuate your back tightness and soreness and make it worse, do a longer <laughs> eccentric. Like yeah. that's, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Plus no one wants to be controlling the eccentric on a heavy deadlift. I mostly see it from people who uh, feel bad about making a lot of noise deadlifting. Yeah. And, you know, that's just... One, you'll get over it over time. Two, if you're in a gym where the culture is that you need to be completely quiet and like not make a single peep with all lifting. Go to a new then, gym. Yeah. I, some people, sometimes people look at me. There was a guy the other day, I was deadlifting and he was on the treadmill and I just drop it. I'm like, <laughs> just cause like that's, I'm not wrecking my back or whatever or changing my training just to, cause some guy doesn't like the loud weights. Like that's what the weights are there for. That, yeah. All right. That's why we're, they're not there to be we're quiet. With, all right. <laughs> they're fucking heavy weights. Like they're, they're, and they always have, like, if they're, if you're, if you put them down too heavy, if they put them down too loud, then it's too heavy for you to lift. It's like, no, that's not fucking true, idiot. Like, that's not how it works. But he kept looking at me and he kept trying to give me this look. And I, at first, I was ignoring it. And finally, I just got to the point where I was like, next time he looks at me, I'm just going to stare right back at him and, and just, just turn and look at my shoulder and look him right in the eyes. And the next time I did it, he looked at me and I just stared at him for like five seconds, just like in my head being like, say something, please say something, which, yeah. you know, when you're deadlifting heavy, you get that as well. Like, you know, you oh, like yeah. adrenaline's up and you're just like, say something, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he looked at me and then, and then he just, he turned back around and he didn't look at me again after that. So. If someone's looking at you like they're doing that, like, oh, stop it. Just look them right in the eye. Just in your head, dare them to say something. So, yeah. I love it. It's also anytime someone catches that on on social media, meaning they're filming a technique video, doing a nice deadlift, and then you see like some Karen come over. Someone went and got the gym manager and the oh gym manager's God. coming over to tell them they have to stop. The comments are just... Like you're doing nothing wrong and just going after the gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The So going back to the question. Oh, br- um, bracing and breathing. Well, I also want to say, I'll, I'll discuss bracing and breathing. Actually, sort of, I do want to talk about that bottle, the, the one I do with the bottle, because I think I'm going to make content about that. But also I think it's good a visual for anyone who, if you want to explain it to your clients or make content out of this as well, it's a super good visual. But I also want to say it's, a lot of people, they're like, oh, like, how do I prevent my back ever feeling sore? 
And there's been this whole big movement in the fitness industry that makes it seem like back soreness is bad. Mm. And that like you're, you, you should never feel your lower back muscles. I'm like, your, your erector spinae are fucking muscles. Yeah. Like, just like your biceps, just like your calves, just like your pecs, just like your, like they're muscles. And if you use them, they're going to be sore. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's been this whole movement that's saying back soreness is bad and you shouldn't use your back muscles when you deadlift. Are you stupid? What the fuck muscles do you think you're going to use? Like if you're picking something up off the ground? Yeah, of course your hamstrings and glutes, but good luck picking something up without using your back muscles. If you can do that, like you're a physical anomaly. That's not, that's not how this works. You're supposed to use your back. And if you look at the best lifters in the world, Look at them shirtless. Look at their back muscles. They're fucking huge. They didn't get that from not using those muscles. Like what it's so you're supposed to use your back muscles. It's it's normal and especially when you just start out, you're probably going to feel them a lot. Like you're they're going to be sore because you haven't used them like that before. And so a little bit of back tightness, a little bit of soreness there is it's not an illness, it's not a disease, it's not a catastrophe. It's normal because you're using those muscles to stabilize throughout that range of motion yeah you're you're using them i mean they're protecting your spine correct really yeah they're 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 holding your spine in a mostly neutral position and so you're quote unquote using them in an intense isometric way yes right like on a deadlift or an rdl we're not taking them through a full range of motion but it is an intense isometric and without bracing and breathing, that's where it might not be an isometric hold because without the proper bracing and breathing, you might have movement in the range of your lumbar spine throughout a rep. But that brings up a good point as well, because there's the range of motion of the muscles and there's the range of motion of the movement, Mm -hmm. right? There's two different range of motion. So your, your erectors, your erector spinae in this are, are, they're not going through a big range of motion. Ideally, if you're doing a deadlift, your erectors are going to stay basically about the same length the entire time. But your hamstrings are going to change, your glutes are going to change, and the range of motion of the exercise is still a full range of motion. This is what's really important. But just because that you're doing a full range of motion with the exercise does not mean the range of motion with your erectors are changing. And and that's why it's like, for example, people talk about squats and hamstrings your hamstrings stay about the same length the entire range of motion of a full squat because they're your as your knee bends your 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 hip and knee bends so the hamstrings stay the same length that's why you don't get much hamstring work with a squat you get way more hamstring work with a deadlift and hip hinge because the hamstrings are actually lengthening and shortening but that i think that's an important point to discuss where people hear range of motion and they think like well why would i do that if i'm not getting a full range of motion it's like no you are getting a full range of motion with the exercise but the role of the erectors in that exercise are to stabilize isometrically yeah we're not we're when I say range of motion, when I said it, I meant range of motion for the erectors. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And and by the way, you and I have talked about this. Sometimes we do want to take the erectors full through a through a full range of motion. Correct. Just not on a deadlift. Yeah. Like we're gonna go through the full range of the deadlift, but your erectors are staying in position. If I wanted to take my erectors through a full eccentric and concentric and uh, you know, body weight and start to load up over time and try to build those muscles and build strength there. Uh, I love back extensions and, and performed, you know, the way you're not supposed to, right? Because we've gotten so glute obsessed over the last decade that 
and I actually like it. I like hitting the the back extension machine in a way that uh, keeps the erectors in the same position and takes the glutes through a range of motion and is great at building glute strength and hypertrophy. But I also like training the lower back and taking your low back through a range and strengthening your low back on the back extension machine. What is the name of the deadlift? There, there's a specific deadlift variation usually done with dumbbells that your back actually purposefully rounds. Do you remember what that's called? No, I don't. <sighs> I forget. I'm, I'm literally Googling it right now. I forget what it's called. Um, it's an old, old, old school Russian exercise. Ah, oh, man. I was actually doing it a, a month or two ago. Um, and, Wait, and you do it with, you do the movement with a slightly rounded lumbar or you take your lumbar through a range during the deadlift? You take your, the, the movement is more with your lumbar than it is with your hips. Eh, cool. So it, it's a very, it's an old school, old Russian exercise. I can't believe I forget Don't the name Don't program right now. it for your beginner clients. Yeah, this is not for, <laughs> and I, cause I've posted about it on my Instagram before and I've said it's not for beginners. It's not even really for intermediates. Yeah. It's, it's more for more advanced lifters and it's not a heavy deadlift variation. It's a lightweight, high repetition, more of like a pump focused exercise for more of the aerobic uh, qualities of the, of the muscles. And also if you want to grow those muscles a little bit more, you can as well, but it's not a heavy one because it, it's specifically for the muscle. And if you go too heavy, you might end up using too much of the actual bone or tendons or ligaments. You end up relying too much on the passive structures as opposed to the muscles. But there's been such a huge movement of people against, against rounding your back ever or against any, it's like, what do you, what do you think you do when you sit on the toilet? Like you're rounding your back. It's, it's, and you know, it's funny is the body's designed to move. We're designed to take it through all these ranges of emotion. When you don't take it through those ranges of motion and when you just stay stiff and, and you immobilize it, that's when you get hurt when you then decide to go through a bigger range of motion again. But if you keep moving it through these ranges of motions with your body weight, with light weight, you actually are much more resilient to injury and you are much more stronger and, and uh, you have a much better capacity to tolerate certain forces on your joints and muscles. So it's it's this idea of, don't ever move through this range of motion. It's a terrible idea. It's you actually do want to move through that range of motion. You want to do it regularly, but you just want to do it safely. Mm -hmm. Where do you think that came from? Like, I know we got, when power, I just asked you a question. Now I'm going to give you my thought. When <laughs> powerlifting bled into like more mainstream fitness, uh, a hyper focus on, and even I think like Ripto, had a lot to do with this. And this is very, very, this is a very, very good thing. But I think with hyper focus on squat, deadlift, overhead press, bent over row, these movements where you really want to isometrically contract and really like take a big breath and brace and really keep stability in the lumbar spine, that became the hyper focus for not getting hurt on those movements. And and it almost like became such a focus that we stopped thinking about any benefits to taking the lumbar spine through a range. Yeah, I think- I On, think on other exercises. Yeah, I think you're 100% right with that. I think a big focus on the, you know, big heavy squats, heavy deadlifts, and seeing people getting hurt when their back would round 
was enough to get mm-hmm. them to be like, hey, we can't let the background. I ever, also th- ever. I, ever. I also think that happened around the same time that coaches really started to hate on crunches as well. That, you know, crunches and then they would be like, you know, the purpose of this of the abs isn't to flex and extend. It's actually to resist movement. And that was such a big discussion, which like that is a major purpose of the abs is to resist movement. But then they were like, so we shouldn't be actually taking you through flexion extension cycles. We should be putting you in a plank position. And there's no reason for you to ever do any flexion extension style ab training, which is also fucking incorrect. There is a, a major, major time and a place for flexion extension based core training. And so I think those two things came about at a about the same time. And so they're between don't flex and extend for your abs and don't round your back when you deadlift or squat led to people being like, just your back, you shouldn't feel your back. You shouldn't move your back. It should just all just be straight and neutral and perfect all the and time, all the time and, th- and missing all of the other opportunities by which it's actually really important to do that. Mm-hmm. Hit on, hit on bracing and breathing real quick. I'm not going to make it real quick. I want, let's do a two-hour podcast today. No, let's just, <laughs> no. And I have Gary at some point here. <laughs> All right. So should we should we lead with bracing and breathing next week? No, a teaser, no, no. a no. part two on deadlifts. No, a two-part deadlift podcast extravaganza. No, 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 no. Let's let's just do it right now. We'll fit because yeah, we'll we'll finish with this and then we'll hit something great for next next week. Go ahead. Is Gary texting you? Nope, we're good. All right. So when it comes to breathing and bracing, there's a lot to consider. I've literally done an entire seminar just on this, so I'm not going to go on for an hour. But I want to explain why, and I'll give you a visual. And it'll be great when we actually have video podcasts so I could actually show the camera this. We might but next week. We might. No, we're not we gonna might next be able week. to put this on. I think we probably will. All right, let's see. Such so, a cliffhanger. So here's what we're going to do. What I want you to do is if if you don't have a bottle of water, with you, but you have one near you, go get a bottle of water. Uh, if you don't just imagine, cause you can, you can think about this. So Mike's got a bottle of water, but you can't see it. That's, that's a, a hard plastic one. I mean, more of like a plastic bottle, like, you know, Aquafina, Dasani, that type of bottle of water. Well, xenoestrogens. I'm trying to keep my tea above 3000. So I don't. Smart, smart. <laughs> but so for the sake of this, I want you to imagine, let's say you've got a completely empty xenoestrogen full bottle of water. All right. So (laughs) completely empty. There's no water in it. All right. Nothing. It's just an empty bottle of water. If you wanted to twist that bottle and and the cap is not on, okay, it's empty, right? Uh, you, if you want, even if the cap is on it, it doesn't really matter unless it's full of air, but let's just say you, you want to twist the bottle as tight as you can or bend the bottle. You can do it. No problem. It's empty. It's not a big deal. Now let's say you take that bottle and you fill it halfway with water. It is not all the way, but halfway full. You could still twist and bend it. It's a little bit more difficult now. It's harder. You can't get as big of a range of motion with it, but you can still twist and bend it. Now let's say you fill it all the way up with water and then you you seal it off. You you put the cap on, you twist it, and now you try and twist and bend it. Good luck. Like the, the amount that you can actually twist and bend it is minimal, if anything at all. It's completely full to capacity. Uh, there's just, there's not much you can, there's not much to deform there. Um, that is why that is a perfect example of what's going on in your body. If you breathe and brace properly with that full canister, that full bottle of water. If, if you're not breathing properly and you're not bracing properly, it's as though you have an empty bottle of water, right? And so what I want you to imagine is 
um, your spine is that bottle of water. Okay. Like your spine, the ability for like bending it. And this is again, under heavy load, there's nothing wrong with your spine bending, but under a very heavy load, you want to keep it as static and isometric as possible. You don't want it bending under heavy load. You want to keep it nice and braced and, uh, and, and firm. So when you have, when you don't breathe properly, when you have, let's say like no breath in your lungs and you're not bracing properly, your spine is going to bend very easily in the same way that the empty water bottle is going to bend and twist very easily. If you breathe, let's say you take a big breath, but all the breath goes into your chest and not your abs, right? So you just take a big breath in, which a lot of people are chest breathers and they don't actually breathe into their diaphragm. Well, if you just breathe into your chest, you've got half of a bottle full of water, right? So again, like the, it's better than nothing, but you can still bend and break and, and, and twist a halfway full water bottle. Same thing. If you breathe halfway, if you only fill your diaphragm, but not your chest, you want, you want to fill both. So if you fill first your diaphragm and then you fill your chest with air, and then you put your tongue on the roof of your mouth and you seal it off just like you would, if you were closing the cap on top of a top of a full water bottle so that the air can't escape. And you can now breathe and you can brace with that breath inside of you. Now you've got a full canister, a full water bottle that's going to protect your spine from breaking. And this is a super good visual that you can use on social media if you want. You can literally take a bottle of water, show them what it's like empty, what it's like half full and what it's like all the way full. And use that same example to explain why it's important to breathe and brace properly for a, a safe deadlift. Man, you killed that explanation. And I never realized that I stuck the tongue to the roof of my mouth. Oh, really? I do, but I never, but I was never conscious. So now I, I can add that for a, for a cue. So thank you. That's a good point though. It's, it's Arnold was famous for, for sort of making fun of people for who spent so much time teaching people how to breathe. Cause he's like, the more you think about it, the harder it gets. He's like, you do it naturally, which it's very true. Like if you watch someone, if you told someone, Hey, go pick up that heavy bag of luggage, they would they would go walk up to it. They'd take a big breath and they'd squeeze and they'd stand up with it without you having to teach them. Maybe their technique would be a little bit off, but naturally the people breathe properly. But when people start making a big deal out of it, that's when they end up, you know, breathing incorrectly and doing the wrong things. But when they just do it naturally, it comes naturally. All right. We're very quickly going to hit an email question. Um, and I'm going to shorten it here. Basically, a woman interested in joining the mentorship, um, she has limited time. So we have, you know, Chris Gates is someone who comes to mind. We have people in the mentorship who uh, their online fitness business is their side hustle. They don't have a full schedule to dedicate towards it and have been successful in building their online fitness coaching business. But where is that line where, you know, if I have X hours a week to dedicate toward <laughs> I can see you don't like the question. If I have X hours a week to dedicate towards building my business, like, does it make sense to join the mentorship or not? And, and this individual, this woman said that she has 10 to 12 hours per week that she could dedicate toward, you know, making content, coaching, et cetera. I, I think it's a good question. I'm not like, uh, I'm not averse to this question. I think, what do you think? I want to hear what you th your thoughts first. Hey, there's a reason I didn't just reply to the email straight out because I'm always balancing like, look, I, I think you can't, one is better than zero. Like you have, you have to temper expectations, 
right? You can't expect to see the same results working 12 hours a week as someone who's working 50 hours a week. But if you temper expectations, then doing something is better than nothing and is going to get you ahead and and start you on the path. But the other side of me is very much like don't want to be salesy and don't want to be pushy. So I'm not going to like hard be like, oh, you should absolutely join the mentorship. 12 hours a week is plenty to see progress because you're not going to see the same progress that all else equal, the same person working 4X that amount of time is going to see. But but you can get things started. You can start an online business. You can get clients. You can help people. You can build an audience. You can build a following on 12 hours a week. In fact, there's a a principle, the name of it, which is escaping my mind right now, but basically the the time that a task takes rises and shrinks to the amount of time. If I have to design five training programs and I have three hour gap in the afternoon, I'll just lollygag it over the course of that three hours and get all five done. But if I have 40 minutes to get those five done and like those clients are about to work out at 8 a.m. and it's 7.15, I'm gonna get them done and get them sent over. The other thing I'll say about this is, um, Mike, you are saying that maybe they won't be able to do as much or make as much progress as someone with more time. I don't even think that's necessarily the issue unless you, your expectations are off. If your expectations are like, you're going to make the same progress as someone who's dedicating 50 hours a week to this and you're only dedicating 12, well, that's your fault. But I think a lot of people are pretty realistic and understand that they're not going to make a, as fast as progress as someone who is, and that's fine. I think most people's issue is they just don't know what to prioritize. They don't know, all right, sh- like, do I need a website? If I do, like, how do I make my website? Um, what type of content should I be making? Where should I be posting? Uh, they, they don't know how to make an email list. They don't know what order of events need, like what to do first, like first, second, third, fourth, fifth. They don't know what to do or when to do it or how to do it. And that is what's stopping them. Not necessarily the time commitment. It's just like, they need more direction. It's, it's sort of like a lot of clients in fitness. They know they need to work out. They have the time. They can make the time, but they don't know which exercises are best. They don't know how to write a program. They don't, they're not keeping themselves accountable. And so that's sort of my message here is if you have an extra 12 hours a week that you want to dedicate to this and you know that you're going to use those 12 hours, you just don't really know where to begin yet then the mentorship is the best place to begin because we lay it all out for you. We take out all the guesswork. We tell you, hey, here's step one. Here's step two. Here's step three. Do this, do this, do this. You need accountability. We've got it for you in the group. We've got a whole group there. We've got Susan and Kim in there. You and I do live Q&As two times a month. Like, And we give you the explicit instructions just like you give your clients. So if that's what you need, then there's no question. But if you know what to do already, like if you know, all right, here's step one, here's step two, here's step three. I know how to do SEO for my website. I know how to do this. I know how to do that. I know how to make an email list. I know what I should be sending them. If you know all that stuff and you're just not doing it, then you probably don't need the mentorship. And it's probably not for you because you've already got all the answers. But if you're looking for more guidance, regardless of the of whether you can dedicate four hours a week or or a hundred hours a week, it's sort of irrelevant as long as you just want the guidance. Yeah. And just a quick reminder, cost of the mentorship is going up very soon. We're not exactly sure on the price increase. A number of you have asked that. It's going to be at least a 25% increase in price uh, here in the next one to two weeks. So uh, if you're on the fence and thinking about joining, now is a good time. And we would love to see you on the inside. 
Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Great stuff. Deadlifting weekly episodes. Have a good one. See ya.